Hello, everybody, and welcome to the AgroInnovations.com podcast, where we deal with all things related and debated in agriculture, from appropriate technology to fair trade, globalization, and organics. As we continue our focus on agricultural biodiversity, we'll be speaking with Amigdio Bailon. Amigdio is an expert on highland Andean crops, and he'll explain the historic, economic, and nutritional significance of some of these crops. So please stay with us for Amigdio Bailon. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us for the AgroInnovations.com podcast. We're continuing the theme of agricultural biodiversity. We've talked with a plant pathologist, an entomologist, and today we have with us a guest um, who is Amigdio Bailon. And uh, Amigdio, you have many years of experience working with highland crops from the Andes. Um, could you talk a little bit about your background and professional training with highland Andean crops? You know, I am from Bolivia. It's my town where I born. It's uh, Cochabamba. I got my degree in agriculture, and then I got my master's degree in plant genetics, and then I come into U.S. to be assistant of the research on the new crops for Dr. Dwayne Johnson. I was beginning to do my Ph.D., but anyway, you know, I coming from Indian people. Actually, I start planting potatoes and quinoa with my grandpa, my grandma, um, but actually that I can say to you that was how I beginning to be involved with agriculture uh, or with the earth or the seeds or the crops. Right. So um, specifically with the uh, within the topic of highland Andean crops uh, in Bolivia and that part of the world, it's possible that many people are not aware of the geographical range of some of these crops. Where were these crops domesticated? But, you know, when we're talking about this, uh, some of these Andean crops or the, uh, we will say highlands crops, some of these crops, they are very, very old, maybe 3,000, 5,000 years old. Yes. We can talk, for example, about quinoa. Quinoa, it's more than 5,000 years old because... The Quechua people or the Inca people beginning to have a special respect for this crop because they call the tears of the sun because we believe all the Inca people, they supposed to be they coming from the father's son, okay? But that's the origin of the Quechua, the Inca culture. And then when we have to plant in quinoa, for example, they have to make a special, a special moment because they are very, very important grain for the Inca people, like like amaranth for the Azteca people, but the amaranth in the meantime, it's one of the crops they grow in highlands. When we say highlands, we can talk between uh, six or 7,000 feet of the elevation until 12,000 or 14,000 feet of the elevation. Right. The amaranth here, they call, you know, amaranth and the Quechua, people or the Inca people, they call Sangarochi, growing in Peru, Bolivia, part of the Ecuador. You know, it's also one of the very ancient grains. Anyway, you know, these, all these grains, for example, they are very old for the, for the Indian people, you know. And then we can talk also, you know, it's so many crops we can describe 
how old or how ancient crops they are. You know, we can talk, for example, about the Oxalis hooka, uh, Oleucus, the small tubers. You know, these plants, not only it's a, a edible plants or food or nutritious plant, in the meantime, they have some medicinal properties and uses too. So, Amigdio, what a question that comes to my mind as I listen to you talk about these highland Andean crops and how ancient they are, how come they aren't a part of our economy and how come they're not I mean, they are a part of our economy, but they're they're pretty small, and they're not really commonly consumed by so many households in the world. Why do you think that is? When we talk about food, you see, for example, Chinese people eat a lot of rice. People in my country, we will say, before the Spaniards or the European people come, we eat our Indian crops. But after the Spaniards, they come to beginning to change all these habits of the Native people in North, Central, and South America, and try to impose different type of the the crops. Why to create dependency from the people? It was not only in the ancient times we don't have any economy they can sustain to the pueblos. The main economy for the pueblos was growing food and making fertile the land of the Mother Earth, the care of the Mother Earth. But after the Spaniards, they come, they change completely this kind of the ways, you know. And that's one of the situations you can look very easy and look it up, for example, how important it was, these crops, for Native American people in South and Central and South America. Because these crops, they are not very known in some places because we didn't have. We didn't have, for example, this type of the, uh, I would say to you, the, uh, to go to other places, conquer some kind of the uh, cultures, change completely his uh, habits of the uh, of the, the food or the habits of the life. You know, all these kind of the things they have influenced in this kind of the situation. And that's what I can say to you, for example, some of these crops, they don't have much importance in some other places. However, however... One, I will give you one example. Quinoa, it's very high in proteins, more high than oats, wheat, rice, any grain you can put in the front of the quinoa. The same thing happened with amaranth. But they are not very popular in the market. Why? Because we didn't have chance to have machines or high technique they can go on growing in very extensively lands. You know, that's what happened in highlands because, you know, we have very sandy soil where we grow the quinoa and dry land, and we don't have irrigation system. It's almost the same technique they use the Hopi people. They're using, for example, in South America when they have to grow the quinoa grain or the quinoa crop. I would say maybe this kind of the parameters to explain to you this question you asked me, why it's not very popular with not very into the economy, these grains. But another another simple factor I will mention to you, another example. In my country, for example, we have a law in the Constitution to say we have to use 5% of the quinoa flour in the in baking bread, you know, yeah. and mix with the, with the wheat. Uh-huh. The wheat they have... In my country, in Bolivia, I'm talking about Bolivia, you know, we 
subsidize the wheat and we don't subsidize the Indian crop. You know, all these economical interests, it's making for the corporations or, or big people that are involved in this kind of the business, you know. And that's, they give it to you enough explanation, for example, how management this kind of the things. My people, we know quinoa, it's very important grain for us. I can eat quinoa every single day, okay? If you eat quinoa every single day, you don't need, for example, any mineral supplement because quinoa is very high in iron and phosphorus and many other kind of the in other kind of the minerals okay also it's very high in proteins probably you know that yes okay i don't know if i cover with this your your question well um it yeah it definitely addresses you know some of the historical and current reasons why these crops aren't currently being consumed um what is the current status of these crops in their in their geographic region of origin are people still cultivating them? Um, are they disappearing? What, wh how is that playing out in the field? Uh, you know, that's a very, it's a very sad situation what happened or what's going on because we want to be, that's the problem. In any Indian community from south to north or any place you can go, you know, we want to be, to be the best. And when you're thinking to be the best, means you need to have in your house refrigerator, television, microwave, all this advanced technology. But I don't I do, I am not against all the technology. But you know what? Some of this technology making a lot of damage to the health of the people. Yes. Microwave is not very healthy. Right. You know that. Right. You know? And many other kind of the things where I can talk to you and give it to you some examples. And that's one of the situations when we have to say, for example, in my country, we try to supply quinoa, one of the best grains. Okay, that's also politics. It's also interest of the corporations, other organizations, the people they can management, the food business. Okay, we don't want to have, for example, some grains that can be very good and very healthy. We are still growing quinoa in areas where you don't have chance to grow any other kind of the crop. You know, other grain, very, very, very rich and very high in proteins and very high in minerals, they call cañagua. Cañagua is the same family of the quinoa and different species. It's very high in iron. You can control very easy some kind of the desnutrition situation with this kind of the grain. Okay. We are still growing all these ancient grains, ancient crops in my country. I will mention to you quinoa, cañagua. You still find, for example, in the market or in the streets, pito de cañagua. Okay, it's a, a cañagua flower you can eat. It's very delicious. Also, it's no nutrition only. I mentioned to you before, also it's a medicinal. They have medicinal properties. Okay? Yes. Besides the cañagua, you have, for example, other grains. You have lupinus. It's a very, very good for the liver. You know, it's very high in proteins, very high in oil. It's growing in highlands. When I'm talking about highlands, it's over 8,000 or 9,000 feet of the elevation. You know, other grains besides the quinoa, cañagua, amaranth, lupins, we have, for example, tubers. I mentioned to you oxalis, oca, mashua, 
potatoes, potatoes and potatoes, for example, we don't have only one or two or three different types. We have 12,500 different types of the potatoes in the seed bank in the International Potato Center. Okay. Uh-huh. And each potato, they have different kind of the uses in nutrition. Also, they have medicinal properties. Not all the potatoes, they can be used for making uh, boiling potatoes or baking potatoes. You know, they have different kind of the properties, all these potatoes what I mentioned to you. Color, flavor, you know, all these kind of the things that are involved in this diversity what I'm talking to you. In this country, maybe you have one or two or three or five different type of the potatoes. That's all what you know. In my country, my people eat every single meal with potatoes. Okay, yes. one of the main foods. In the meantime, it's not only nutritious crop. It's also they have medicinal properties. You know, it's one book very interesting. They call the Lost Crop of the Incas. In this book, you are going to find many, many, many different type of the crops they using in the ancient times. They are still using in some Indian communities these crops in my country. You know, when we're talking about the history, I think one of the best things the Indians give it to the world, it's the food, more valuable than gold or silver, okay, because this is keeping you alive. Now, what about fruits? Are there any fruits that are native to the Andes? But actually, I don't know if you heard about chirimoya. Yes. But chirimoya, it's fantastic crop, you know, it's also a very good for the stomach. It's, I didn't see much this crop here in this uh, in this country. Also, pakai, you know, it's another flavor. It's very good flavor. And then you have papaya. It's also cacao. You know, so many. I think it's uh, the knowledge of the Indian people or the ancient people. It was so very deep in agriculture because that was the one of the main things for the people food than any other thing. You know, that's why we have to make in a special ceremony for the Mother Earth when we have to plant them or we have to harvest. You know, it's one of the big ceremonies, these kind of the things for the Indian people. You know, we have to make in the offering to the sun, the offering to the water, the offering to the fire, to the offering to the Mother Earth, to the feast for the seeds, for the harvest, you know, all these kind of the things. So, Emigdio, what are some of the most promising Andean <clears throat> crops from an economic perspective? But actually... Probably you heard about the, the maca, you know, it's beginning to have, it's a, that's what I said to you, some of these crops is not only a nutritious, also they have some medicinal properties, you know. Mashua, it's another very good, very good tuber, it's problem for the, you can, you can control some kind of the problems of the impotency or energy situations with maca and combination of the oca in the meantime. They're making flour and you can eat these kind of the things like you can like you can use mac in the meantime. Also, quinoa, they're beginning to have some kind of the, the market. not very easy to also, here in this country, it's a little bit expensive, the quinoa, because one pound, it's almost $2.50, in some places $3, in other places $4. People, they have limitations to, get, to go and buy this, this crop, you know? And then... Probably between these other crops, uh, I don't know if you heard, for example, about these uh, parched beans. They call in my language kopuru. You know, it's bean pub beans. You know, you have like a uh, 
popcorn. Yeah. You know, they are very, very useful and very, you know, you using this and you eat a lot of these kind of the things and they are very nutritious because they keep you, they keep you very healthy. You know, it's different from the potato chips or corn chips, all these kind of the things, because these kind of the things, they are very slow digestion. You know, when you eat in natural ways, it's more easy to digest. It's also more healthy for your body. Probably one of the things uh, they can have a very big perspective in this in this moment, I will say to you, it's maca. It's uh, a son of the tubers that come in here to the U.S., also the quinoa. I think that will that will be the most uh, uh, prominent crops I will say to you in the in the market actually. So, what will it take to achieve a greater market share with these crops? How do we get these crops to market, and how do we get people to realize all these benefits that you're talking about? It's uh, you know, not many people. That's what I said to you. You know, I. Chinese people, I will give you another, the same example I mentioned before, eat a lot of rice. You know, my people in my country, we eat a lot of potatoes. Yeah. But also, we eat a lot of quinoa. Yeah. But, you know, they change completely this type of these habits, and we're beginning to eat more more pasta, more rice, you know, all this uh, white sugar. You know, all these kind of these things, they are not healthy in this moment. You know, slowly, slowly, we're going back to the ancient times and try to eat more natural foods, okay? I think one of the most important things to open these alternatives or possibilities, it will be to go and making some kind of the education and show the importance of this this type of the grains. But we are not, you know, we are not have this kind of the maybe alternatives or possibilities to making these kind of the things because you need to have marketing people they can begin to marketing these products and producing different kind of the things etc 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 things we didn't have for example possibilities to making these kind of the things in my in my place when my home or where I coming from what is the current state of the genetic diversity of these crops and what's being done to re- preserve this genetic diversity? The place is where I was because every year I travel into my place or my country. Also, I went to Argentina, Peru to give some workshops. Uh, we can talk definitely about the genetic erosion. Happens some of these kind of the aspects in some of these crops. For example, I was last year visiting some areas in, in Peru. In Lamay and other places where the Keros Indians, they live in Peru, you know, before, maybe I talking to you maybe 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, they have maybe 140 different type of the potato tubers. Now they have only 25. You see how affecting this kind of the things because people beginning to have these habits to buy food in the stores and don't care what it's the possibilities to grow in his own place. That's slowly, slowly we're losing this kind of the diversity in some ways. And that's a scary situation because, you know, the big corporations or the seed corporations coming with these genetic engineering seeds, all these kind of the things, they can affect completely the genetic diversity in some communities or in some places. 
Right. So what so what are we doing or what can be done to preserve this diminishing resource? You know, I don't want to say it has to be some foundations they can help in that. No. I would like very much the government and the people in my country, in Peru, in all these places, in any place, it's very important to have or give so much attention to the diversity of the crops what we have, because that's one of the last resources, like to the Mother Earth of the topsoil, they have left in this planet. When you lose your topsoil, you lose the ability to grow anything, and that's the same thing happening with genetic diversity. Right. So do so. Do you think we need um, community-based seed-saving programs? Or absolutely, that will be one of the things. That's what I said to you. Has to be politics in countries or the government position against to these situations. Because I am not expecting, for example, to ask into to some corporations they can or some kind of the foundations they can fund in some kind of the programs because we have money for a few years and then no money is no program, you know. It's better the government they can be involved in this kind of the situations. I'm beginning to think and I say, okay, this is so important to keep alive my my community, my pueblo, my country, etc. Do you do you know of any programs that exist now that are successful? Some, in some places, yes. I know, for example, one group of the, the in Peru. It's directing for one of the, my friends. They call Confederation of the Islands of the Highlands or something. One of the directors is Alejandro Trevisan. He has a small seed bank over there. And then I know another organization in Argentina. The name of this organization is Permaculture Institute, Gaia Institute. Also, they have a very good program of the collecting and preserving some local seeds or any seeds they can come from any place. Also, here in the Pueblo, here in Tezuke, where I am working, we trying to have a seed bank, uh, organize a seed bank here in the Pueblo, too, because, uh, you know, very probably you heard about these uh, genetic engineer seeds, all these kind of the things. I don't have much experience the what can be the effect of these things, but it's uh, they can be dissenting what happened after the Green Revolution, 1960s, when we have, for example, all these uh, hybrids, all these kind of the things, changing completely the concept of the open pollinized seeds. After a few years, we're beginning to see what was the effect of the Green Revolution. You know, they use a lot of fertilizer using a lot of agrochemicals, pesticides, all these kind of the things, they affect completely the environment, you know? And we have some kind of the, the problems until now. You know about DDT, you know about Cerosan, all these other kind of the the agrochemicals they using, for example, and people, they don't have idea what they're using because we don't have, my people like me, we don't have much education in this kind of the field and then people, they can use them because... We have these commercials. It's very good to grow very well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in the meantime, you're beginning to kill the the life in the soil, the life in the water, the life in this planet when you're using this kind of the chemicals, you know? Right. Um, and, you know, some of the effects have already been measured of these genetically modified crops. Um, there was a study done by a team of Russians with soybeans, and they fed a group of mice uh, the genetically modified soybeans, and they found that the uh, babies or the or the, or the uh, offspring of the mice 
were much, much smaller, and their growth was much, much slower than the control group. So there are definitely causes for alarm. Also, they've found that some of the genetically modified crops, they're being modified to uh, be resistant to herbicides like Roundup. And what they're finding is that these crops are cross-pollinating with weeds in the field, and that's causing these weeds to become super weeds that can't even be killed with, you know, herbicides. So there's these are already, you know, in the very early stages of genetically modified crops, we're already seeing these effects in biological systems. Actually, that's a scary situation because sometimes, for example, we don't we don't have idea what kind of the effect we can get from this kind of the things because, you know, I am not against the science too because I have very good number of the publications myself in open pollinated seeds and high altitude crops, you know, but it's a scary situation when you're talking about this kind of the things because, you know, you have to look it up this way because sometimes we are not looking for the healthy Pueblo or healthy population in this planet. What we're looking at, we're looking how much money we can make. It doesn't matter how greedy they can be making this money. It doesn't matter if we're killing people, if we're killing children, if we're killing animals or the wildlife in some places. It's matter how much money you can make. And that's the goal of the corporations. And that's not very good. You know, it's very, it's very sad because we have to think in what we can live for the future generations. Emigdio, I know that you are actually now in the Tezuque Pueblo, which is outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico, here in the United States. Could you talk a little bit about some of the work you're doing up there now? Uh, actually, this year it was a very, very intense year for us because we we tried to begin to develop different kind of the the programs. One of these programs, it's, uh, you know, our philosophy here in the Pueblo, it is we try to have sustainable Indian and autonomy community. We planted last year, for example, 100, we, we transplanted 750, almost 800 fruit trees. We planted peaches, apricots, uh, plums, pears, uh, cherries, apples, grapes, black raspberries, red raspberries, strawberries and we expecting actually you know in few years we expecting have enough production of the fruit to supply to the elders here in the pueblo in the seniors center also enough fruit to give to the children in the head start also in the school day but in the meantime we can give some to the pueblo people because the Pueblo people, they have, for example, cars, easy to to jump in the car, go to the store, 30 minutes driving, expending gas, time, and they don't thinking here they have the potential to have a very good and healthy food, and they don't have to travel. That's you great. Know? Yeah. It's, this is one of the, the projects where we have. The other project where we have here already in line, it's we grow some medicinal plants. And we are going, we're producing already some kind of the medicine for the Pueblo here. We have some drops for the, for the coal, for the immune system. You know, we grow some, some kind of the plants that can be used for this kind of the things. Also, we have a, a syrup for the calf. 
we have for the problems of the joints and kind of the preparations, uh, muscle pains and kind of the liniment, you know, all these little things, slowly, slowly, we are now with the intention or the idea to to making uh, money, millions and millions, you know, we are with the intention to provide to the pueblo what they need or how they can how they can supply the things when it's necessary to have some kind of the things to care this kind of the things. That's that's another program where we have. The other program where we have also we have some kind of the food production. You know, in food production we grow so many different kind of the things: corn, beans, squash, melons. This year it was very interesting because we increase the seed, the production of the beans. For example, we start with one type of the beans last year, pinto beans. It's more common beans in the market in, in many different places. But this year, we grow almost 50 different type of the beans, increase the seed bank, and recover the vitality of these beans. Of these beans. Um, next year, we're going to increase and put more to, uh, uh, I will say to you, maybe we're going to put more for disponibility for the people here in the pueblo, because in our harvest festival, what we what we did in September, the last week of the September this year, we cook the pinto beans and the Mexican zedomok, the sumas red beans, and then the people they beginning to know the see the difference between these two beans. They like more the zedomok, the suma Mexican beans because the flavor it was much better. Also, they cook more more fast than pinto beans. But in the meantime, we have also seed contract with the seed of change. We grow some seeds for these people. And these seeds, they are beans, they are uh, melons and corn and some beans for these people. Already we have, already we harvest, we clean in seeds. We don't have very sophisticated machines over here. I try, that's another aspect. I try to train in people over here more uh, working by hand than working with machines because that's another part where we can making we create dependency of the people. If you don't have the machine for this kind of the things you cannot do this kind of the work. You know? And then for next year we try to making uh, chickens, turkeys and ducks. Also we try to have maybe few goats to for milk production, cheese and yogurt. Not for whole pueblo in the beginning. But we were thinking to have enough for the Head Star for the day school, for the elder place or the seniors place, all these kind of the things. So slowly, slowly show to the people how much we can do over here in the Pueblo. Okay, that's great. Uh, Amigdio, we're about out of time. I'd like to thank you for being with us today. Um, we really appreciate your time, and I hope to speak with you about all of these different interesting issues and programs that you have going on sometime in the very near future. Okay, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity, Frank. Well, that does it for today's show, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Amigdio Balon, for being with us. If you'd like to contribute to the discussion, you can sign on to agroinnovations.com, click on Podcast, where you can leave suggestions, comments, ideas for future shows. This is Frank Aragona, your host at the agroinnovations.com podcast. And next week, we'll be continuing with this theme of agricultural biodiversity. Thank you very much. Saludos. Saludos.